Welcome to the Man Up, Man Down podcast, presented by Volker Baluda and David Pawsey. We discuss the pressures and challenges faced by men approaching middle age that we're often too embarrassed to speak about with our friends. You can find us online at www.manupdown.com. Enjoy the show and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Hello, welcome to another episode of Man Up, Man Down. This is a, uh, well, I think a particularly fascinating episode. I mean, as I said to our guest when we had a, a brief catch-up earlier in the week, sex sells. <laughs> so, uh, you know, don't get too overexcited, but this is an episode that is uh, going to be dedicated to, well, sex and relationships. So, well, with no further ado, I'll introduce uh, Albertina. Albertina Fisher, and she is the co-founder of Revive Sex and Relationship Therapy. Albertina specializes in psychosexual and relationship therapy, working with people from all backgrounds, sexual and gender orientations, relationship types and disabilities. She helps individuals and couples with sexual concerns and relationship issues. Um, And Albertina has particular skills in working with sexual problems, including relationships where sex has stopped, where there are differences in levels of desire, varying sexual interests, or problems relating to sexual functioning, such as pain or erectile difficulties. And as she says, you know, these are issues that may be as a result of life changes, such as pregnancy, birth, bereavement, illness, and aging. Sorry, getting uh, tongue-tied already. Sometimes couples do not have any such specific Uh, specific problems she says but they just want to have better sex but I mean obviously you know bereavement illness and aging that's something that we we talk a lot about about this podcast so is there anything you'd like to add to that Albertina and welcome to the podcast oh thank you very much welcome to the podcast (laughs) thank you (laughs) no I think that's that's fine as introductions go so um yeah no far away I, I guess you know. We'll, well, we'll get. <laughs> See, I've I've got a bit of a reputation of uh, of liking an innuendo and euphemisms, so um, I apologise in advance. But let's start with the the first one. Let's get straight into it. I mean, you know, what are the sort of main issues around sex in middle age? Um, well, sex and relationships and. Well, can you are, are the two completely entwined? Can you separate them? Yep. Lots. Fire away. <laughs> That's a good good starter for ten. So lots to think about there already. Um, in terms of sex and relationships, can you separate them? I, I think when when the sex takes place within the context of a relationship, which of course it doesn't always, but when it does, then I think the two are absolutely inseparable and completely intertwined. So the relationship impacts the sex, the sex impacts the relationship. So, um, and that's why as relationship therapists, sex therapists, we like to work with both the relationship and the sex. And we, we love it when both partners come together to the therapy so that we have everyone there who's uh, an interested party. So that's to answer that bit. Of course, sometimes sex takes place outside of relationships. And so then the issues that people might bring are going to be different. So if I have people come and see me and thinking particularly about men now and the sort of age group that we're talking about here, if men come and see me on their own, it's quite often because they have Um, what we call a sort of issue with sexual functioning. So in other words, something doesn't work 
quite in the way that they need it to or they want it to. Uh, so we can think about, you know, erectile dysfunction, which I know you're, you're going to do, um, we'll have done a, a, an episode on anyway, so we won't go into too much detail there. Um, but also things like uh, maybe premature ejaculation uh, and also something called delayed ejaculation, which is also quite common where actually a man might struggle to be able to reach a climax during partnered sex. Uh, so those typically are, are some of the issues that men uh, will come with if they come on their own, if maybe they're not in a relationship, maybe they're having sex in a more sort of casual setting. When there are issues with sex in a relationship, sometimes they're still to do with bits not working quite as they should do. Um, but most often it's about that the two partners in the relationship perhaps have different thoughts and feelings around the sex in the relationship and they can't quite... Uh, make that work between them. So that would be, I think, the most common presentation that we see when couples come and see uh, see us about sexual problems. So there's something that you mentioned there just about, well, you know, men struggling to ejaculate. And, you know, already I'm like, oh, well, you know, isn't that almost like every woman's dream? But then, you know, it's like, well, actually, I guess that can cause issues of oh, well, he does, does he not find me attractive anymore? You know, is there pressure on her to to sort of, well, yeah, <laughs> make him come? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess a lot of this is, is you know, often turned in, well, sorry, it, it, you know, it, it's, there is the physical side, but there's obviously a, a quite a heavy emotional and psychological side. There really is. And, and I think the word that you just used there, David, which is pressure, um, I think is such a relevant uh, word when it comes to sexual issues. I, I personally think that if, if I could wave a magic wand and take pressure out of sex for people, everything would just become so much easier and so much better. So I think pressure is a real issue. You know, whether that's pressure around, you know, being able to get an erection, being able to sustain an erection, being able to get turned on, being able to have an orgasm, um, whatever that pressure might be, the feeling that one should make their partner orgasm, you know, whatever there is around pressure, it is a, pressure is a passion killer, okay? Pressure yeah. and desire don't go together. So, so whenever there's pressure, and sometimes that pressure is put on by the person themselves. In fact, very often I find that's the case. Mm. You know, that people think, oh, I should be able to uh, come uh, through, say, for example, what we call penis and vagina sex. So for a woman, for example, that's quite difficult. You know, most women don't come through penetrative sex. They come through clitoral stimulation. But then, so if there's a perception then either on the part of the woman or their partner that they should be able to come through penetrative sex, then there is this this sort of big pressure that gets, you know, and if someone feels under pressure to have to come, guess what? They're not going to be able to come. Uh, and so the same can happen for men as well. So wherever that pressure is coming from, if we could just take that out of the equation, people could just focus on having a good time, actually, mm. and, and on giving and receiving pleasure. So, that would be so how, do, how do you take that pressure off? Because... You know, if I say without wanting to to tell any tales here from from when I was younger, right? But you know, when 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 we first started having sexual intercourse, right, with with our first partners, right, there's a lot of pressure to perform. You know, um, am I doing it right, right? Especially first times and stuff. But as we as we get older, we get wiser. We you know, we, we kind of think we we know what we're doing, right? 
So why, 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 why is this pressure, particularly in the Middle Ages, still there in terms of, you know, having to perform? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a very good question. I wish I, I sort of knew the answer to that. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. something that I find myself talking to my clients about almost more yeah. than anything else is, is the pressure. And I think it goes back a little bit to what you were saying earlier about, you know, that the, in a way the partner is going to feel validated if certain things happen. So mm. if you get aroused, if you get an erection, if you climax, then I know that you're going to find me attractive, that I turn you on, um, that I'm a good lover. So I think a lot of the pressure comes from that, a sort of feeling that, um, you know, the partner needs those things in order to feel that they are, you know, who, who you want them to be. So I think that's a lot of it. Um, I think another really big reason that people keep the pressure on, even when they get to sort of middle age and, and hopefully, like you say, they've evolved a, a little bit, is that couples tend to fall into a little bit of a trap with sex in that they 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 sort of, when they first come together, they experiment, right? And there's a lot of sort of uh, weird and wonderful things that go on and they try stuff out and they're quite adventurous. And then almost as the relationship becomes more settled and serious, the sex becomes more and more narrowly focused, more and more prescribed. And so in the end, the couple end up with, you know, the way that they do sex. And, and then what happens is that the way that they do sex, they then think that that's how they need to keep doing it. But of course, life around them changes. Their bodies change. Sometimes they're the things that turn them on change, but they sort of feel the need to keep doing sex the way that they've always done it. And that's where a lot of the pressure comes from as well. And, and then as I think lastly, there's a lot of pressure. This might apply a little bit more to younger people rather than people in middle age. But, but I think the people who've sort of grown up with internet porn, um, there can be quite a bit of pressure there as well to, to sort of perform in the way that they see uh, the actors do in, in the porn. Um, and that can be a problem as well for both men and women. I mean, that's, you know, that's sort of some, well, <laughs> not that we've discussed porn in great detail, but, you know, we, we talk about social media and, you know, how you kind of, well, there's pressure there to live up to everyone's social media profile, which we all know, even if, you know, we, we struggle to, understand it in the moment but we're seeing everyone's highlights rather than their entire life and yeah you know I guess there is well there's lots of factors with pornography you know in the well yeah am I big enough well from the man's perspective am I big enough um do I produce enough and you know is and again I guess almost like oh well I'm not doing that that I'm seeing everybody on the internet doing especially as now there is sort of more of a an amateur aspect to it um with you know platforms like only fans which which volker has told me about um, i don't really know much about but, but, it, wait 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 but, wait but, I, mean, I've, um, I have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> wait a second um but yeah so so yeah i mean i guess there is almost like a fictionalized ideal that that you know you need to aspire to and I, and I guess you know in a lot of ways it's almost like for, from a football analogy how many boys play football and dream of becoming a footballer and how many actually get to you know 
play professionally, you know, it's a very small percentage. Um, so again, you know, I guess you're seeing a small percentage of the population and what they do, but you think, oh, well, yeah, everyone's doing it like that. Everyone's having sex like that. Yes, exactly. That can be, that can be a real misconception. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, we could talk endlessly about porn. It's a fascinating subject in and of its own right, but... Um, oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but, but keeping that to, to one side for a moment, I, I think there's just something about... The, I think the biggest issue that, that we really have at the heart of all sexual problems, particularly the ones in relationships, is just that people find it so excruciatingly difficult to talk about. Mm. So, so there's a huge amount of second guessing. You know, the number of times that I've sat with a couple where when I sort of take a full history and, and get the sort of lowdown in terms of exactly what happens and what they do and how does that go. You know, I find out, for example, that the man is working extremely hard. And I, I use the word working, you know, with purpose there because it starts to feel like work. You know, the man is working extremely hard to make sure the woman has an orgasm every single time they have sex. And then I sometimes turn to to the woman and say, so so how important is that for you? Um, and more often than not, she'll go, well, not particularly. So there's this whole sort of um, thing that happens in sex in, in a long-term relationship. So people just stop talking about it. They just keep doing things that they think are the right thing to do. Um, they don't really check in with their partner. Hey, is this still good for you? Do you still like it this way? You know, do you feel that we should change things up a little bit? I sometimes get anxious. Do you know about that? Can I talk to you about that? It, it almost feels as if it's the one subject that people can't talk to each other about. Mm. And I think that creates a lot of these issues. That's interesting. I think the what, what you just said in terms of, you know, checking in with your partner and actually talking about it, right? You know, if I say in the olden days, I would have said keep, keeping it fresh, right? Essentially, that's that's what you need to do, right? Because otherwise it becomes a routine like a cup of coffee, right? Or a cup of tea or, you know, which, whichever beverage we're talking about, you know, because it, it is a it is an interaction, right? It, both parties need to get something from it. Um, and, you know, if, if, if that doesn't happen, right, then it's it's a huge challenge. I guess that's, that's true for anything in a relationship, isn't it? It's sort of, I mean, you, you sort of mentioned about the man working hard. And I mean, I guess the sort of the, the thought process I had there or, you know, something I, I've sort of think about is if um, so, if we're talking about working as in, you know, your vocation, if you've got two parents that have demanding jobs, um, you know, one of them might be doing more of the, the parenting aspect, but you know, you sort of, you hear this term of, oh, well, you know, we're just passing ships in the night these days. And as you say, it's difficult to talk about sex. But if you're, you know, barely talking to your partner for whatever reason, you know, that could be demanding jobs, then, you know, it is, you know, it's, you know, it's not like, oh, how was your day, darling? I've just seen this porno. <laughs> Would you mind <laughs> trying this out with me? You know, that, that's that's not. You know, I, I'm guessing that approach wouldn't get the desired results. 
No, I, I think you're probably right about that. I, I don't think that's going to be the right approach. I, I mean, it sort of made me think about, you know, you said about livening things up and people quite often talk about sort of spicing things up, you know, making sure it stays fresh. All of that's really, really important. The, the, the difficulty with it is that it's quite often done in almost a bit of a gimmicky way. You know, so the number of times people have told me about sex toys that have been bought but never been taken out of the box, kinky underwear that's been bought, never been taken out of the cupboard. Mm. Um, so so in a way, it's the wrong place to start. And, and the same would be, you know, I've just seen this porno, do you want to try this out with me? It, it, there's nothing wrong with any of that, but it's sort of the wrong place to start the conversation. You know, mm. the right place to start the conversation is, you know, let's sit down, let's actually have a check-in with each other. Where do you think our sex life is at right now? How do you feel about it? You know, what's important about it for you? To sort of to sort of put it in in some kind of a, a frame where it says, you know, what do what do we feel about sex and our relationship? What relevance does it have for us? What's important about it for us? How would we like it to be? How is it currently? What's good about that? What's not so good about that? And then, of course, you can go from there and build in things like, you know, do we want to try something a bit different? Do we want to, you know, introduce some new things? Do we want to go shopping on a really cool website and get some new things to play with? You know, all of those conversations can happen, but they sort of need to flow from that initial checking in with each other and, and really thinking about it. In terms of ships passing the night, I think it's a huge problem. And, and more so when, when those ships tend to not go to bed and get up at the same time. Uh, I think that that is a real issue as well. I'll make one one last point slash question, then let Volker uh, get, get a word in. Yeah, I mean, so how, you know, how do you kind of um, address that? And I mean, for example, you know, one of the things that that you know people say is like oh well you know make time for it you know as in like book it book a you know an hour in whether that's during the day or and you know and it's like well is there even more of a passion killer where or you know and we talked about pressure it's like right well we got this time booked in <laughs> I mean you know it's almost like going on holiday you go on holiday and it's like oh well it's got to be the best time I've got to come home completely relaxed and you know the reality is you know, you're on holiday, but there's still life, you know, things that niggle you, like if you've had a bad night's sleep, you're still going to be grumpy. So, you know, it, it, well, how, yeah, what, well, how we, what is the best approach, I guess, is what I'm asking. No, right. It is, it is the perpetual issue of, you know, can you schedule sex and should you try and schedule sex? So my answer to that is always no. Um, you can't schedule sex. And, and the reason you can't schedule sex is because it's pretty much impossible to know whether you're going to feel like having sex, I don't know, a, a week on Tuesday at 10 o'clock in the morning, right? I mean, how, how do you know that? You can't know that. So I think scheduling sex is, is absolutely the wrong thing to try and do. On the other hand, what you absolutely can do is to make time in your schedule for some intimacy. Mm. Well, that's a very different proposition. So at that stage, what you're actually doing is saying, look, is this important to us? Do we do we want to prioritise intimacy? And that isn't just, of course, physical, sexual intimacy. It's also emotional intimacy. Do we still want to have a connection other than talking about who's going to take the bins out, who's going to pick the kids up? You know, do we actually value that in our relationship? And if the answer is yes, <clears throat> we need to find some time to do that. 
So what you can do is make time to have some intimate time together. Now, exactly what then happens in that time, I think you need to leave open mm. because that's where otherwise the pressure comes in in spades, as you say, David. So le let's leave that open. So make time to connect intimately, whatever that looks like for you. It might be having a, a dinner date while the kids go off for a sleepover, or it might be just spending, you know, an hour on a Sunday morning in bed or, or a lunchtime during the week when the kids are at school, whatever it might look like. Mm. And just just having that time to connect and then see what might happen. I think that's mm. the thing, because if there's a pressure to say, no, I must get turned on and we must be able to go and have, you know, full swinging from the chandeliers type sex in this hour, that is a passion killer, right? Because mm. you don't want to feel that kind of pressure beforehand. But if you say, look, let's just spend some time together. Let's just get close. Let's maybe just be in bed. Let's maybe be naked. Let's cuddle. Let's chat. Let's, and then see what happens. Mm. And that's where you give an opportunity for something that I'll, I'll talk more about, if I may, which is, is called responsive desire. You, you give an opportunity for responsive desire to kick in, but without any pressure that it must kick in, you must get to the end post you know but it's actually perfectly okay if after that hour all you've done is laid in bed together you've had a lovely cuddle you've had a nice chat then actually you're still going to feel more connected you're still going to feel more like lovers and less like co-parents or roommates even if you haven't gone on to have sex does that does that make any kind of sense yeah no no that that you know that sounds um well, there was two things there. I was like, hey, that, yeah, that sounds relaxing, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, exactly. and, and quite a calming thing. And yeah, you know, I was like, oh, that sounds quite sweet. Um, and I've forgotten the other thing I was going to say. Maybe I got a question in there. Yeah, go on. Because <laughs> there, there are two things, actually, what, what you mentioned, which I find interesting. Um, so one, going to, to bed at different times. Um, because, you know, in... in I'm, I'm an early riser. I'm, I'm getting up at five o'clock in the morning, which means I'm naturally going to sleep between nine and, and 10. And my wife goes to bed at, I don't know, 10, 11. Um, you know, she, she just can't sleep earlier. So, so I don't see that as a big problem, per, personally, you know, sp speaking from experience. Um, so I'm just curious how that will, you know, or, or does affect, you know, relationships and in, in particular sex. And the other question, what's well, once I get a word in here with David, um, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you said the, the times, the responsiveness, it's, it's quite interesting, right? You, 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 you create that space and you say nothing has to happen. So, so I would argue, and, and I don't know if you, if you hear that from, from, from clients as well, but if it's almost like you, you're making the space, like let's say you, you send the kids off to sleepover or you, you're going out for a meal, you know, you, you, you do, you know, some, some sort of foreplay or you, you know, you have an hour, you know, in, you know, between school run or whatever it is. Um, it almost, you know, don't, don't you just kind of like want to use that time to, to the best of your possibility of, 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 you know, having sex rather than just, you know, lying there. But I, I totally get your point. Right. And I think, you know, you, in, instead of looking at, at the act itself, you want to look at, you know, looking at the wider relationship. Is that, is that, do I understand that correctly? So you almost need to train your mind of taking it away from, 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 from the actual act of sex to, you know, how, how do we get the relationship going and, and use that time? And it doesn't have to be sex related, if that makes sense, or intercourse related, I should say. And um, so that's an interesting point, but do I understand that correctly? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. That's exactly the point I was making in a way is that yeah. it, it depends how you define your goal. So if you define your goal as, you know, we should use this time to have sex. And by sex, what we mean is, I mean, we're obviously being terribly heteronormative here for a moment. There are there are other other types of relationships, um, but just heteronormically for a moment. Um, you know, if we define sex as penis and vagina sex, where people then have to have an orgasm at the end, if that is our really narrow definition of that is what sex is, and then we're sort of saying, well, our goal is that we must have sex, you know, you're starting to become extremely goal-orientated towards something that's very narrowly defined. And then if that doesn't happen because, hey, guess what, someone's got a headache or stomach cramps or, you know, they've had a particularly stressful day and they love to have a cuddle but actually can't get into the sex because the head's not in the right space, it then all turns into a big disappointment. So if instead you could reframe that goal and say that what we are looking to have in this time together is some connection and some pleasure, right? So let's call sex that. Let's say that for us, sex is about pleasure and connection. And then if we achieve that in that hour, in whatever way that ends up looking like, and it might well end up looking like, you know, proper sex with all bells and whistles and orgasms all round, but it may not. But both of those scenarios are fine. So, so I think it depends on how you define the goal of, of you know, that, uh, that hour together. Med Up, Men Down is sponsored by Welldoing. It's a great platform for finding a therapist or counsellor. They only accept verified professionals and they make it really easy to find one who is right for you. You can also use their personalized matching service so your availability, budget and needs are expertly matched with just the right person. If you didn't already know, success in therapy is down to making a great match with your counsellor and the people at Welldoing really know how to make that happen. Plus. They have loads of stories, videos and interviews to support your mental health. Take a look at welldoing.org. That's, that's, that's interesting because essentially it's a reframing, right? It's, it moves mm -hmm. away from, if I say the teenage sex, kind of like we, we have to have intercourse, right? Now I'm challenging that, um, you know, de deliberately. And if I say I'm not, you know, I'm not at that age, I'm middle-aged, right? So I, I think middle-aged people still have sex, I mean, you know, as, as far as I can tell. But once you get to, I don't know, 60, 70, 80, 90, at least that's what I learned in biology, and that's 40 years ago probably. Oh, not quite 40 years, 30 years, 35 years ago. You know, all, all the couples have sex, but it is more, if I say, hand-holding and, you know, just, just you know, there, there might not be any intercourse when, when you're 90. And, you know, again, I've I've no no idea, you know, how, how, how it could physically work as well but anyway so is there a transition phase where you move from if i say teenage sex always on to to middle age where you know you know where, where, where you almost transition a little bit and moving away from sex always has to be intercourse to sex is just a cuddle and and, and a hand holding when you're 90 kind of thing mm -hmm. or am i on the wrong path and you know i'm, I'm still can you know get it up at 90 and and, and be like a teenager I mean, that would be amazing if I knew that can happen. I'm just going to have to mention about, uh, I don't know if you saw that Al Pacino became a dad at uh, the age of 83 oh, okay. this week with his, his 29-year-old girlfriend. And, and anyway, that was, was frozen or that was... 
Was was that frozen semen or was that actually through intercourse? <laughs> you probably didn't I, I, I wasn't that, did there. I wasn't there, so I don't know. <laughs> Just saying, it's you know. <laughs> it's entirely physiologically uh, possible. Um, okay. So, you know, I, I hope so for you, Volker, that at 90 you absolutely yeah. will still be getting it up and, uh, you know, hope, maybe not far. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> No, that's, that's, that's all done. I can tell you that. That's not going to happen anymore. <laughs> um, as to whether what I'm talking about in terms of sex in, in long-term relationships, whether that's a yeah. transition from teenage sex to holding hands and cuddling sex at 90, that's not quite how I see it. And I actually think that this advice in terms of, look, let's broaden the definition of what sex actually is. You know, let's do away with this idea of foreplay and sex as if penetration is sex and the rest isn't let's just do away with that and actually say that any any physical um slightly sensual erotically charged connection is sex and then all of a sudden what you have is a is a huge smorgasbord of possibilities of ways that you can be sexually intimate and have pleasure uh, and and increase your connection and sometimes that will be a quickie. Sometimes that might be, you know, standing up in the kitchen, um, you know, 10 minutes uh, before you have to dash off for work. And, and why not? So, so that is still very much part of sex. And there's no reason why you shouldn't be doing that uh, for as long as you both want to. It's just about saying, look, let's not say that that's the only thing that sex is. Let's just broaden it out so that... If you get sexually intimate, this is a really big, important thing as well, I think, that I want to get across. If, if you get sexually intimate and feel that as soon as that happens, it means you have to go through to the full sex, it's a really good reason to cut it off at the pass. It's a really good reason to stop it there. Okay, And this is very often what I hear where couples, we have, what they have what we call desire discrepancy, right? So one partner wants more sex than the other one. When that happens, and it's a very difficult situation for both partners, but when that happens, very often the non-sex intimacy also really starts to suffer. Because now if you imagine, say that you're, and it's very often the man as well who has lower levels of desire than the woman, again, talking in a, a heterosexual relationship, and, you know, work with gay men, uh, lesbian women, they have the same issues around desire discrepancies. So it doesn't matter what kind of relationship you're in. But if the partner who has less desire for sex or wants sex less often feels that every time their partner makes an approach, every time there's a bit of a, I don't know, a hand on a thigh or a kiss that turns into a bit of a snog or anything like that, that they immediately think, oh, my goodness, they want sex. I don't know that I want sex. So I'm going to just stop this right there. And that's what tends to happen. And so you get this really erosion of physical intimacy right across the board. Instead of that, if you can have a conversation together that says, look, let's not worry about whether we're going to end up with sex or not. Let's just be wherever we're going to be in terms of our sexual intimacy and just enjoy that. And then who knows what might happen? So if I know that a snog isn't necessarily going to mean that I'm now expected to have sex, maybe I'll be more inclined to have the snog. And if I'm allowing the snog, maybe, you know what, I might get aroused. Then I might end up wanting to have sex, even though 10 minutes ago, I didn't think I wanted to. But if I think, you know, every time there's an approach into some, some physical closeness, that means, oh my goodness, my partner wants sex, 
there's going to be a real cutting off of that right at the start. And then there's no opportunity for anything to develop. So again, it's about taking the pressure off. Again, it's about saying, look, let's get physically intimate. And wherever we end up, it's going to be fine. And yes, that might be full, full sex, but it might be that all we've done is had a snog. It's still yeah. nice. It's still connecting. It's still a hell of a lot better than nothing. Better than nothing. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean what? With me, you might say, actually, I don't want that. If I, if I can't have the full sex, I don't want the snog. I mean, that, that's not yeah, a Yeah. Some people do feel you know, that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, what what is your sort of approach? I mean, you know, we talk about different levels of desire. And also, you know, in your bio, you sort of talked about varying sexual interests. Um, I mean, you know, and I think no husband or wife wants to force their partner or wife or, or husband, you know, to do something they don't want to. But, you know, obviously that can lead to a sort of build up of frustration. And I mean, I was, I was well, I'm not going to name the podcast this time because, you know, I feel that I always promote it. But there was one podcast I was listening to on this subject, um, you know, and the expert was, well, you know, if it's something that that's, you know, if there is a massive kind of imbalance there, then, you know, you start a conversation about, well, infidel- open relationships. I mean, you know, and I think, you know, we, we sort of hear like the term thruple has become sort of a, a lot more used. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, there is, you know, and we've talked about sort of, you know, the fact that obviously there isn't just heterosexual sexual relationships. Is is that something that people come to you with that issue? And also, I mean, I guess sort of at what point in that conversation would people come and see you, I guess? I mean, the answer to that last bit is 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 usually too late, um, or or as late as possible. You know, people typically will have had issues of of a sexual nature for about ten years before they seek help. So, uh, so that's a real sort of plug from me. You know, if you think this is an area you're having difficulties with, if you can't talk about it very easily between you, if you can't see how you're going to find your way through. Don't wait 10 years before you get help. You know, go and talk to a sex therapist. That's what we're here for. In terms of sexual incompatibility, whether that's levels of sexual desire or whether that's the type of sex that people want to have, you know, those are real issues and there are no straightforward, easy answers to that. What we try and do when, when I talk to couples, what I try and do is just open up the conversation, open up the thinking so people quite often come and present me with impossibilities, you know, sort of say, well, he wants this, she wants that, I don't want that, he doesn't want that, so therefore we can't have what we want and it's all totally impossible. And so what I like to try and do is over time to understand, well, what's behind that, first of all, because very often sexual difficulties can be a symptom of, a, of an underlying difficulty. So it may be that that sort of rigidity for example, around sex, or there might be some power games going on around sex. They're very often a reflection of what goes on in the wider relationship. So that's something to pay attention to. It's never just about the sex. But coming back to the sex for a minute, what we like to try and do is to get the couple to think about 
well, rather than thinking about what's not possible, let's think about what is possible. Where might you be able to meet? You know, what might you both be able to do? Uh, and, and let's think creatively about that. Now, sometimes that thinking creatively includes thinking about opening up the relationship, introducing potentially a third, but it doesn't have to be. You know, it can very often be that once people start to sort of open up um, their idea to possibilities, uh, sorry, their mind to possibilities, that lots of other things can come into there, um, things that haven't thought about. I mean, with the internet now, there are a lot of opportunities to, for example, go part way to acting out fantasies, for example, without actually mm. doing something that a lot of people would feel might threaten their relationship, which might be opening it up or bringing in a third party. So, you know, let's be creative about this. Also, elements of play. Now, if someone is a, a, a very sort of hardcore, um, you know, BDSM uh, person who actually needs to have those dynamics or, or that level of sort of what we call impact play, physical uh, pain, for example, in sex in order to be able to enjoy it, and their partner absolutely doesn't, we might have to say, look, we, we really need to think about how, how this is going to work. Because this mm. is... But very often, it's more a case of, you know, how can you find something in the middle that actually brings in some of these elements that one of you wants, that the other one has sort of said, well, actually, I'm, I'm not interested in that. But there might be elements of it that actually both can enjoy. Mm -hmm. So we try and find those. So it's all about being open and being creative, I think, at the start. Very occasionally, people do split up over these kind of differences. More often than not, we can find a way through. You mentioned sort of reactive desire, was it? Responsive desire. Responsive desire, yeah. sorry. Yeah, no, it's a really, thank you for bringing me back to that point. It is, I think, a really important one. So a lot of people in long-term relationships operate still with what I call the myth of spontaneous desire. Okay, so they think that sex happens in response to two people feeling horny. Let's call it that. Mm. Um, unfortunately... <laughs> As time goes on, as people get older, as the relationship is longer, as people have lots of different pressures, as people go to bed at the different times, the fact, you know, to, to get the two people together to be horny at the same time, but also then to have the opportunity to be able to act on that, get pretty small. So if you base your entire sexual relationship on that, on those few times that all the stars are going to align, you're both going to be horny at the same time, you're going to have time to do something about it, likelihood is your sex life is going to be pretty infrequent. So spontaneous desire is still there and every now and then one or both of you will feel it and that's fantastic and it makes you feel young and it's great that that happens. But you can't really rely on that in order to have a satisfactory sex life in a long-term relationship. But there is this other wonderful thing called responsive desire. Okay, so that actually is something that kicks in in response to some stimulation. So rather than just standing in the kitchen washing up and thinking, oh, I feel really like having sex now, um, which might still occasionally happen, but probably not as often as we want it to, but what can be relied upon is that once you get into it, once you make that bit of time, once you allow yourself to be relaxed and together and, you know, have a bit of a snog and a kiss and a cuddle and a, and a bit of, you know, maybe be naked together, whatever it might be, the likelihood is that with that stimulation, the desire comes. And then you think, oh, actually, I, I would quite like to get into it. So that's the responsive desire. 
And that's the thing that keeps sex going in long-term relationships. Now, I know it doesn't sound terribly sexy. It's much sexier to, to think, oh, I'll walk into the room and all I want to do is rip your clothes off. But realistically, you know, with kids in tow and, and after 20 years together, is that really how you're going to wait to, to have your sex? So, yeah, so responsive desire is what is, is the one to focus on. But you've got to create opportunities for that to come in. Volker, I can see you thinking. Yeah, yeah, thinking. Um, thinking. Just want to clarify, that was thinking. <laughs> yeah, 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 thinking. Just as well we don't use the video in the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. What, what I'm thinking. I mean, responsive design. I, t- I totally get that concept, right? To- totally understand what, what what you're saying. What what I kind of still mulling about, right? In, as, as you mentioned earlier, right, just maybe coming back to that point for a second, is, is porn, right? We, we, we have access to porn instantly these days, right? It's not like, you know, when, when I grew up, you know, you had these magazines and the, the, the pages stick together from whoever <laughs> owned it before, right? Um, we, we literally, we can on our phone have a choice of I don't know how many websites, you know, I'm, I'm not by far not an expert like, like David is. <laughs> so, I mean, you were mentioning sites earlier I've never heard about. Anyway, um, but then we have opportunities, you know, as you mentioned, in terms of playing out fantasies, right? So there are plenty of, you know, clubs online. You know, I, I, again, I'm, I'm not an expert. I never never looked for it. Um, and then there are things I've never used because they were, they were after, you know, I, I remember being in a single magazine, you know, as a student and I got letters, you know, not many, but I did get one or two letters, um, you know, physically letters sent to me. Now you have Tinder and you have Grindr and, 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 you know, all these platforms, right? So it's so much easier to, you know, if, if you say you're not happy in a relationship, you know, to say, oh, you know, I open one of these apps. Oh, yeah, I like this person, like that person, you know, I like that fantasy, this fantasy. You know, you can probably go by location. And um, funny enough, I just very timely talked to someone yesterday. That I think it was Grindr that has a location buzzer. So you walk into, a I don't know, a nightclub and, and then you get a bus and you know someone is close and I'm like brilliant right if I had that when I was you know that age you know 17 18 or brilliant right um so all these things I'm missing out on you know is it not too easy these days to say you know effort you know I've been with my partner for 20 years you know it's not working the way I want it you know I want more sex I want less sex you know whichever it is rather than creating this responsive um and desire and this environment to to if I say rekindle it or, you know, to, to, to reframe it, I go out and I just look somewhere else. It's yeah. just a thought. Sorry. I yeah. Don't no. know what I'm isn't, for. isn't there a statistic as well that it is, uh, I think infidelity at, is at its highest around the forties. Is that, or I mean, done your research? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's like, I think it's likely uh, that that's the case. I mean, you know, at this stage in life, you are at sort of maximum pressure all around, aren't you? Really, you're likely to have, uh, you know, jobs and careers that you're still working very hard in and building. You're quite likely, if you have children, they're quite likely to be an age where they're still quite demanding. You're probably going to be juggling multiple careers. You might be looking after elderly relatives. I mean, it's all happening, isn't it, in this sort of midsection mm. of, of life. The other thing that can happen in, in midlife is that you sort of get to this stage of thinking, you know, there's a lot of things that I might have dreamt about as a young man or as a young woman. Um that I'm now beginning to realise are no longer possible. Certain doors are now closed to me. You know, I've taken a certain path, but by taking a certain path, I've not let myself go down some other paths. 
that is quite a painful thing processed to go through in middle in middle life in midlife i think and so there can be a tendency to then say well that's it you know i'm going to just shake it all up and i'm going to chuck these bits out and i'm going to set myself off on a different path the reality of course is if you do that there's huge loss involved in that as well so so yes it, it is easy there is temptation there um but i think if you can ever if ever you feel like acting on on these kind of feelings if you can talk first and then if you still want to act later act later but i think a lot of people have these kind of feelings and then they act on them uh, and then later on we might need to talk about the fallout from that whether that's an affair or whatever that might be so so yes i think you're right these things are there they're temptations they make it easier to look elsewhere, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the right answer, of course. Um, but when it does happen, and I see a lot of couples in the aftermath of something like that, uh, it doesn't always have to be the end of the relationship. It's it's often a communication about the relationship. It means that things get shaken up, things can be improved. But of course, there is something about the betrayal if, if it happens without the partner's knowledge mm. that is... is you know, it's a long-term uh, uh, negative impact, really, on the relationship very often. So, so yeah, I mean, if, if you know it's there and you feel like you want to do it, maybe go and talk to someone about why before you do it, before you throw your whole life in the yeah. air. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we have come to the end of time. Um, I mean, we, you know, we say this a lot but i think <laughs> yeah. um it would definitely be great if we could get you on again albertina because there are um yeah you know there's there's sort of quite a few questions that i have like you know where do babies come from but um you'll but, find um, out one day david you'll find <laughs> out one day <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, it is, well, it is, it's, it's a fascinating subject. It's something that we all think about, but rarely discuss. So um, hopefully uh, this episode won't lead to uh, too many marriage breakups uh, and hopefully to more lively sex. Um, but, you oh, know, yeah. it's, it's at the very least, it's given me some ideas for our next strategy meeting, Volker. So, uh... Wait, wait, wait. People can misinterpret that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just for the record, we are not married, we are not a couple, and we are not sexually engaged. That doesn't, that doesn't mean we can't lie naked together and hold hands. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah. uh, well, thank you very much, Albertina. And if people, yeah. um, you know, do want to get in touch with you, where's the uh, the best place to find you? Um, yeah, so this website that I co-founded is called revivesexandrelationships.co.uk. We have a, a, a quite a big team now of um, all very experienced and qualified sex therapists. Uh, so people can have a look on there. And more generally speaking, there's an organisation called uh, the College of Sexual Relationship Therapists, uh, or COSRT for short. And they have a website that lists pretty much every sex therapist uh, that operates in the United Kingdom. So... Uh, yeah, there, there are there are places for people to go and find help. Brilliant. Well, you know, hopefully, well, me in particular, I have hope I haven't been too childish during this uh, this serious discussion. But yeah, can't no, take you anywhere. I know, I know. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's it's been great. And as I say, you know, it's no, thank you. It's one of those things that that you know people perhaps don't talk about enough. Yeah. So there we go. Well, it's a bit to be able to talk to you about it today. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Feel free to reach out to Volker or David via our website, www.manupdown.com or podcast at manupdown.com with any feedback or to let us know what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. Hear you again soon.